0: all you moneymakers out there thank you guys for joining our podcast and we're super excited today because I'm going to share the bad with it I'm going to share some of the five biggest mistakes I made in real estate and some of the things you look out for you it's not all roses and cherries whatever that saying is let's get into the dirty so let's do it just before we get started I'd love it if you guys could subscribe below and that way we can reach more people and just help people make their money work for them in any different way we can. Thank you guys and let's get started in today's content. So first let's start off with some of the biggest mistakes we're talking about but let's start off with the easy ones. Kind of the no-brainers you would obviously guess but we can kind of dive into them of course. Um, The first actually number one biggest mistake that new however new or old you've been in the business the number one thing to be careful or look out for is your arv your projection of a property value your after repair value if it's a fix and flip your value if you're going to do a burr and you're going to try and refinance it out or if you're doing a huge multifamily deal and you want to evaluate a property to refinance out and take all your investors so um the biggest biggest most critical number is your arv your your projection of what this property is worth. And sometimes you can be miscrewed and in not looking, you don't have enough data, very common here in Hawaii that a property, uh, big problem here in Hawaii is you'll be looking maybe say Manoa Valley and the properties in that value of that area don't have good comps and they don't have houses we we don't have track houses here in hawaii so the properties may not be like for like and so now you're trying to compare properties of a stucco home and you had this prefab home and the single wall construction and you don't have enough data to really figure out a solid arv evaluation of this property Um, and then you can get into looking at you know, square footages that are not like for like, or one time I had um, a realtor that sent me some ARVs of our property, we was going to do a flip. And our property was two houses back from the ocean. And that realtor sent me homes. And one of the comps that they sent me was a home on the ocean. Um, again, that realtor, it's not their money at stake, you know, this is my money at stake. So that realtor didn't really look into it as much as I'm going to look into it. So that is a potential problem that you may be be depending on a realtor for their own opinions. And if that, you know, valuation is wrong, the realtor says, oops, I'm sorry, but you as investor, you have to eat that loss. You have to suck that money up. So, oops, I'm sorry, doesn't cut it for me. It's your money at stake. So figuring out that ARV is really, really critical because it's your money at stake it's not that realtors money at stake to figure out the exact comps for you it's not you know anybody else's money it's your money it's your life it's you know these are big numbers we often deal with so figuring out that arv after repair value is super critical um we uh, we check everything we we fill our head with a ton of information we'll get into another podcast with that later but we want to be that experts in figuring out that arv because that mistake will cost you thousands hundreds of thousands of dollars um you know if you're if you're off and it doesn't go back to the realtor they're not paying for that mistake uh, or whoever advised you on those on that valuation of that property it comes down to you um and i do it i do an arv i do a valuation of any property we're doing very depthly. Um, i will yes ask for realtors for their opinions without giving them my opinion first so i want to hear their feedback then I actually have a VA that evaluates the properties for us, they're gonna send me all the data that I need so I can make a really educated evaluation. Um, and then I'm diving into it, if we have one of our acquisition guys as well, he's looking at that deal. So once we get a deal locked up, uh, we'll really dive in and make sure, you know what can we sell this project for? Uh, we'll go back and forth with agents, or if it's a large, we were just doing a large evaluation on the house, it was a $2.5 million house, Trying to project six to nine months out, where will we be be at? So now we're looking at comps that are. We'll go look at even two to three year old comps. We'll look at square footages that people have used. You're really just trying to pull as much information in your head to make, you know, an educated, uh, you know, risk assessment of this deal because that ARV is going to dictate everything else. So your ARV will back down everything say that project is worth 2.5 million you know what is your purchase price you'll minus that out what is your rehab budget you'll minus that out what is any holding costs and realtor cost Uh, you minus all of that out and then you're left with that profit Um, so if your arv is wrong all that everything else that you backed out will be really wrong so your arv is your end-all be-all number and you have to be right on that number that's what you're going to sell this house for and you uh you know if that changes that can obviously lower your profits and cause a loss of this deal so if you're trying to do a deal and it's really tight because your arv you know is off or you're pushing an arv and i'm guilty sometimes too of it is hoping for an arv or trying to um you know, figure out uh, uh, something that's not there, for example. And this happens, again, when you don't have enough data, maybe nothing has sold. It happened to us, we had a condo where nothing has sold in the building. Our o- our oldest like comparable comps were like two years old and uh, there's nothing sold in that size range. It was like a penthouse, like really big, beautiful. You know, then you're trying to analyze deals with per square footage and so forth. Um, so that was my third flip ever. Where I didn't have enough information to analyze a deal, and uh, and we jumped into it, and that one didn't work out too well. But you learn from your mistakes, and you move forward. You know, we're on to 120 flips later, and we've been lucky enough to be all right on every deal. So you learn from these mistakes of analyzing a deal and not not really having enough data to make an educated guess for yourself, and that's what it is. You know. I am the expert in every neighborhood. Every deal I do, we know what's sold in that neighborhood, what's withdrawn, what's expired, you know what's listed down the street, that house is down the street, and he's got, you know, this kind of walls and this kind of like accents. like you know you want to be that expert in that neighborhood that you're doing a project in when you're ultimately starting that project. Um, it, it, you, it's your money at stake again. And if you're talking to a realtor, you know, okay, Hey, that, he's talking about that house down the street. Yeah, I know about that house. It's sold for this and this. And and you, you can now, um, you just know what you're talking about, you know, when you know what's going on in that neighborhood that you're doing a project. Again, it's your money. You want to be the expert of that neighborhood, of understanding that particular mar- market, um, more than everybody else, more than even the realtors. So um you know, really diving in and walking, open listening, open listens if you have to, or um, doing tours. Um, I do a lot. I just do everything online with you know computers now. So I'll look at pictures and so forth. Um, you know, we do it. We're on a more we do a more scale side of the things, so we have to do uh, things more online. But um, you do have to get that ARV, and I, I'm probably going to talk about that. In, That right away is the biggest thing of biggest mistakes to look out for because that's where hundreds of thousands could be lost or made. You know, if, um, you know, in the last two years, we had a market that was really forgiven. So a lot of these new investors, flippers, anyone who started flipping since 2019 um, till, you know, six months ago, um, if they've been, if you're following them and they've been flipping two, three years, you know, they've been, they look successful because they've been in a market that was really forgiving. You could be over your rehab budgets, or you could have been off on your ARV, and they would have still made money. Prior to that, most investors that started in this business don't really last because um, you really had to be on it. There was no forgiveness uh, of, of this kind of market. You had to we would sell a house and be happy to get asking, you know, prior to this crazy market. Or we would have enough room or profit on a deal to cover our cushion in case a deal went bad. Or, you know, now we have 18 flips going on, so we're cushioned enough to, you know, forgo any kind of losses. But we have rentals and we have so much scale now at this point. Um, And and we hope we know what we're doing with ARVs at this point, too. So when you're a newbie investor and you're just starting out, you know, a lot of times you're riding off of this one deal, making it. And um, it's not a forgiving business where, you know, sometimes the losses can be big number losses, you know, double, triple digit type of losses. And God forbid, I don't want anyone to have that happen to them, you know, any new investor out there I don't want that to happen to you and that's why we're getting into it is because you know I want everyone to succeed in this business and make money so getting your ARV really really dialed in and not being pushy about it actually one of the kind of subtopics we talk about here of risk is not having your emotions drawn into the deal Um, I've had deals where just just a deal just now actually we just passed on it we had it in escrow um we were going to potentially close on it but our numbers were too tight um on larger deals when you're doing two million dollar deals uh your profits could be great or could be very small it, they change very very fast uh with hold times and and so forth and i had if i had emotion involved in it i loved the house it was actually on the enchanted lakes it was on the water had this pool it had a really it was a single level house i love them uh, the layout was super fun, 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 fun layout, fun designing type of project, end of the cul-de-sac. Um, I, w- I would have lived in the house. That's why, you know, I let the, if my let my emotions suck me into that deal, then, you know, I could potentially lose a lot of money. In reality of the deal, the deal only had a potential profit of 200000 or a loss of 80000 within three to five. Three to six months span that's how much difference it was so these larger deals this is a arv of 2.6 million um 2.5 million excuse me um if we were off on these numbers and our market where it's at um, you know we have a potential to lose 80 grand and um, we look at the best possible scenarios to our worst possible scenarios and our profit of these deals is a risk factor so we don't want to go into a deal of that size with uh, it was like a 180 180,000 profit which is great don't get me wrong i'm very happy to make that kind of money but that is is my risk factor of that deal and if that property it was carrying about 20 grand a month 20 25,000, i think a month it was a carrying cost so if that property carried um that extra six to eight months Um, you know, that's a huge blow into your profit. And at that same time, you're also doing drops in prices if you couldn't sell that property. So you're factoring a lot of these moving parts that is just very hard to predict. So you want to kind of look at your best case, of course, your worst case, and you're looking at your profits to use as your risk factor. Are you comfortable making that type of profit? And that's all stemmed off your ARV. And that's what... um, make it or break people in this industry. Um, you know, everyone looks great in the last two years. There's some great Instagram people out there that, uh, you know, I follow and are, they did great in the last two years. Um, but you'll see where people are at in the next two years is, is kind of, you know, who you want to follow, or you want to follow people who've been doing this in the business for a long time. Um, you know, we've been in the now about 10 years now um, i didn't get through the 2008 crash but i've been doing it uh, a while I'm not saying i'm an expert and i'm saying i'm uh, know anything i just know what i know and and that's all i can say you know I'm, i've been through a lot of deals and a lot of uh, highs and lows in the industry mostly highs you know i'm very blessed but um understanding valuations is critical it's absolutely critical you know i would spend days weeks even months on deals this particular deal we just had, we spent three weeks analyzing this deal of back and forth of pulling every data source we can and um looking at the numbers and you know it's it comes down to that you know taking emotion out and just trusting the numbers and make your decision based upon numbers i remember a few deals before that um you know, I really loved it. I was so in love. One of my first few deals, I was really in love with them um, because of locations, of, because of qualities, um, and I didn't really um, fall in love with the numbers. The numbers weren't great, and uh, luckily we did those deals. But um, you do, from my experience, you've got to trust numbers. It's not emotional business. You know, you've got to take the numbers on paper and go with that. Um, so that's the number one risk thing I can talk to you all day about. Uh, but the second kind of most important thing is rehab budgets. Um, so rehab budgets, um, they're easy. If you guys are in a smaller market, like, um, you know, we just okayed a rehab budget in uh, in our um, Ohio deal we're doing. It's like it's $56,000 budget um, for the whole house and everything. And those smaller budgets, um, you have a little more, Flexibility in it, you know. Normally, you're off fifty-six thousand could be sixty thousand. You should be making a lot more than that on the deal, so you can be a little off. But when you're doing these larger rehab budgets of we do six eight hundred thousand dollar budgets, um, those can be very easily get away from you fast sometimes, depending on how you're working with your contractor. Um, so making sure your rehab budgets are on it and not just the rehab you're accounting for all the other expenses that you may have missed and that's what happens a lot is okay you work with your contractor and he gave you a budget but you didn't account for how much your appliances would have cost because you're paying for that or the landscaping you forgot to do or you know you found this extra item that the contractor's not going to do because you totally missed it and you have a shitty contractor that's not going to cover it so having a strong rehab budget and line items and really walk in the house and catching everything and making sure you're thinking about every little thing that could happen in that house cuz often and I'll tell you what you're going to miss something i miss something there's something that's going to come up inside that wall underneath that corner of that beam on the left side is rotten and that's your whole support of your whole house or that corner of the house foundation is is a little weird a little bit but you found out that's a huge foundational issue that you didn't project Um, whatever you think will happen will eventually happen to you in this business and that's just the name of the game and um, you know that's why we we have our contractors that we work with that are uh, you know, they're not going to throw a huge number at us most of the time they'll just cover it It's part of their bid They're understanding what they're getting into in a rehab and you won't get this with some contractors uh, This is just one of the criteria we look for in a contractor that's going to handle this And if it's a huge huge thing outside of the scope of the work um, maybe we'll negotiate just a, 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 a Material cost and they'll handle the, handle the labor Um, you know, because we're giving a lot of business to these contractors. So if you're in a deal and, you know, that happens to you, that should be something that you negotiated ahead of time with a contractor, and that's how you don't get these rehab budgets uh, getting away from you. I have a contractor's license, a little kind of behind the scenes of what a contractor often does is um, very common in military jobs they'll do this, is they'll come in very under budget and they'll – They'll come in just at cost or break even to that particular job to win a job, and they'll use change orders to really make money off that job, and they'll charge a lot more on change orders, which often will happen on pretty much every construction job there is. There's always something that comes up, especially the big military ones. So some contractors play that game and look for change orders. Not all, I'm just I'm just telling you some of the tricks of the trade. Um, or some contractors will um, not; they won't be a savvy contractor, and they'll miss some of those items. And um, their lookout, they're they're kind of out to, I don't say out to get you, but you know they got to cover their costs Sometimes they didn't; they weren't smart enough to cover their costs for that bid, and maybe that's why you had such a low bid because they didn't know about the, you know, they didn't find it, the whatever the foundational issue or the. Um, you know, corners. And then the other thing is working with these contractors and know how to remedy some of these large-scale problems that could cost a lot, and um, know what's the cost-efficient way to fix it compared to um, you know, doing a large-scale, cost-effective way. There's a lot of cost-effective ways to fix things uh, that are safe and legal and to code that um, you, know, you, can, you can do but you you know luckily we've been through a lot of them so we know how to navigate those those uh, issues and believe me those issues are pretty huge and cost a lot and when you have a when you have a flip going on or any kind of project going on you have a budget to stick to and and that's the hardest part of the job sometimes trying to stick to that budget but yet you want to do everything perfect i mean we want to have the best product we want to have the most perfect house and we want to cover every you know inch of that with just beauty and you know accent walls and lighting under cabinets and lighting under toe kicks and track lighting and every beautiful thing you can think of we'd love to do um you know tearing out slabs and roofs and foundations Um, but we have a budget so you have to make a decision is that roof you know, five years old, ten years old. Can you leave that roof alone? Is that, um, you know, side of the house okay? Can you just leave it alone? So, yes, you want to do everything perfectly, but you have a budget. You know, and that's the hardest part of it all. And it can go, it can go south really fast. Uh, we did a project um, in Lumahai where we were. It's just my team running. I have some full-time guys that work for me, and um, and I made the mistake of. Trying to do this three million dollar house, and we tried to just make it too beautiful in a sense, and it cost us. We kept on, uh, you know, I I was just really into the, this project at Luma High which well, turned out beautiful. Don't get me wrong, but it cost me uh, over I think two hundred thousand over our budget uh, because we wanted to do just this beautiful quality type of home uh, with a lot of high end stuff that we've never even done before. These eighteen thousand dollar metal railings and beautiful lava tile and all this custom doors and custom lighting and custom everything, you know, which is great. And the guys can do it. But then it costs us more money, because we made this quality product. Um, You know, what that house would have sold and made a lot of money. But we actually came in on the market right when COVID hit. And um, luckily, we got out of that house and we made like 100 grand on this mega house. But you know, we would have made a lot more if we um, came out of the market differently. But we had enough cushion back to the ARV. We had a potential $600,000 profit on this potential house. Um, and we only ended up making $100,000. But we covered that by having enough you know, cushion on the start of the project and enough cushion you know, on our ARV to really uh, you know, be able to make well on that project. luckily you know we made something we again we came onto the market when actually a month two weeks i think before covid was hitting and um we had huge buyers lined up and then people couldn't fly in and and uh, we got an offer pretty fast there and it was a lot lower than we wanted and we just took it and got off the project it's funny now that house uh, we sold for 3.2 million and I just got a Zillow Zestimate update uh, just the other day. It was like 4.4 million. Within, I think, a year and a half, two years ago, we sold that house, and uh, the Zestimate now is a million dollars more. So, if I would have held that home for, you know, another year, we probably would have made another a million dollars. So, it's always in hindsight you can say that kind of stuff, but you never know what's gonna happen. COVID might happen. Um, the third huge mistake to look out for is working with poor contractors. We just kind of touched on that. Um, you know, I everyone is a great personality there and everyone um, are great people and I'm sure everyone means well, but often you'll you'll find a contractor that um, maybe is you know, a lot, a lot of times what they happen they're paying Peter to they're they're paying Peter to pay Paul. Kind of things so they'll look for your job to help offset their other jobs they're trying to do too many jobs they may talk the talk a lot oftentimes um, and this is very common they'll they'll start strong on your job and they'll be there strong at the start and then midway through the jobs you know they're on to their other projects and forgot about you or they're they're sick or their dog is sick or their mom is sick and they're you know that he may be a great contractor and may know a nice, you know, his stuff, but um, if he doesn't have a great team, a crew, or a great leadership role behind him, then that's what happens a lot, um, if they're not great leaders. A great story is a, a plumber. A plumber is a great plumber, and he wants to be a plumber. Um, you know, he's working well for somebody else, and he's great at being a plumber, but then he gets so much work, he often goes to be, make his own business and now he's not just a plumber he's a business owner and he's trying to do all these jobs but he doesn't know how to run a business of you know paying invoices and paying you know all the employees tracking costs uh, managing his books and running a business that all the things that take and then that's what happens to construction guys often is they're great at their job of the trade but they're maybe not great at running a business and running a business it's it's another skill set on its own, you know, and not, not everyone is, 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 you know, trained or cut out for that business. Um, you know, it's totally two different skill sets, very different skill sets. And that's what you're dealing with in contractors often is, uh, they may not be ready for that skill set to run a business. They may be a great tradesman and so forth. Um, and, and that's what happens. And then you end up paying for that. And it's happened to us. We've had a, uh, I had a local contractor guy. Uh, He's doing it. He was doing our work, blah, blah, blah. Christmas came along. Actually, Merry Christmas, everybody out there. Uh, Christmas came along, and uh, he asked to get paid ahead of time be- you know, for Christmas. And um, I didn't catch it, but I paid him 14 grand ahead of time before Christmas. He had these large payments set up on his deal, and he was going to come back. Christmas came, and I had never seen the guy again. and. You know, he didn't answer his phone, and I didn't get a hold of his son. I tried to get a hold of his son, and, yeah, he stopped showing up, took the money, and ran. And, um, you know, that's it was my fault. I paid him ahead of time, you know, Christmas, and gave me the sad story of his family. And, um, you know, luckily I was able to find a new contractor to come in and finish the job, and we were able to get out and make money on that deal. But it did cost us more in that rehab because, you know, ultimately I had to – you know I paid that guy ahead of time and um, I mean everything's a blessing in disguise his work wasn't quality work and uh, so forth um, you know a little side hack if you can uh, I love foreign workers so if you have any foreign workers um, I hate to say it but they work hard they value good relationships they value work and uh, they've always been the best guys to I, I work with um, you know uh, they want to work Saturday and Sunday. They want to get the job done fast and fast as you, they can because they know they can do more work that way instead of um, trying to do too much at once. Um, you know, it, It's just the way our society is. Yeah, people, people have really strong work ethics when they come in from overseas and they just want to work and they want to make money. You know, I have a lot of my Filipino contractors. They're sending their money back to the philippines you know they're not even taking their money and they're because they just want to work hard and they want to work you know i don't even have to ask them to work uh, on the weekends it's it i have to actually tell them not to work sometimes honestly Um, we have chinese guys too that work for us and they're very very quick Um, you know obviously they put a lot of guys on the job Um, you know every trade there's all kinds, you know, you, you hear the stereotypes, and it's kind of true. You know, the, the Mexican guys, they can do everything. They want to work hard. You have the Italians who are great at countertops and great quality work. I've never found a Japanese guy, but the Japanese guys are very skilled, very technical. You know, Chinese are fast. Filipino guys can do everything. Um, you know, and what, what would you guys, you guys tell me, what do you think about the American worker? You know, what do you think about our society right now, an American worker? You know we can get into it right now but it's you know distinct stereotypical and that stereotypical normally is pretty true obviously there is you know there is nuances and one-off and there's great guys in every place in the world um you know, including america of course it's just finding that right person for you and then okay we're investors contractors i'm sorry have a lifespan often what we do we um We create this machine, this animal. You know, I have my contractor right now. He's done 20-plus homes now with me, and now he's got a big company, big office. He's got a staff, and he's growing because we created this machine, and he outgrows us. You know, we can't keep affording to pay his whole overhead as it gets larger. And they have a lifespan of two, three years most of the time, and um, we have to constantly keep evolving and finding, you know, new ones because— it's a love hate business, you know, I love working with them, but we do want to keep our costs down and so forth. And they want to have their prices up high. So it's, you know, a touchy kind of relationships, of course. So in the next part of it, let's talk about the two bigger mistakes uh, that you really need to watch out for. These are more high level kind of things that uh, more when you're scaling. And one of them is your rehab funds, or your rehab budgets, your holding costs. So when you start scaling, a huge concern or thing to watch out for, and I'm, this is just through my own mistakes learning it the hard way myself, uh, when you start scaling and say we're doing 18 projects at a time, we'll keep it easy. Say we're doing 15 projects at a time um, and you got these rehab budgets. Say you got hundred grand on rehab budgets for 15 projects we only used to get enough money, we would round up and get enough investor money, just enough to cover the job. Our hard money lender would cover our rehab costs. They would cover the 100 grand. That was part of the hard money uh, cost. They would tell us, we're covering your hard money, we're, we're covering your, your rehab costs, the hard money lender would tell us. So they're covering the 100 grand um, and they're covering all that 100 grand times 15, right? So they're covering that. but they would only give us our rehab funds as we did work. We do what's called draws. So we would have to work, 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 work hard at the beginning of the jobs and then ask for money. So you would work, work, work hard and then ask for money. So how do you do all that work, 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 work at the beginning? You have to cover that cost. And often at a beginning of a rehab or a job, you are putting up front that cost. So you are... Uh, you are buying the materials, you're paying the contractors to start before you even got any of those draws. And you are now having to put up that money to get that job going. And often at the beginning of jobs, it doesn't look like much work is being done, but a lot of money is normally dished out. So never looks like much is done, but a lot of money is normally dished out at the beginning to start jobs. And you now have to dish out, say, 30 grand of that job you know, a third of that job before you can ask for your draw. draw, Times 30 grand, times 15 project, that's a lot of money that you didn't, you had to dish out and that you may have not allocated for. You didn't raise that capital. So you get very tight. Your bank accounts look very tight. You're on slim, slim pickings. So that was a huge thing if anyone's trying to scale from, you know, two to three and up, is to make sure you get... We now uh, get enough money involved in that deal set up in its own bank account, set up its own fund to run that deal to cover that extra rehab cost. Even though we have 100%, 100000 in the rehab budget, we still get a third of that rehab cost on top of it to make sure that that deal is, is funded well enough. And the way to think of it is, so what, you raise... An extra 20 grand or 30 grand for that deal it may cost you a couple grand for that money but it'll let you you know you don't have to what if you don't use the money that's fine you don't use the money you pay it back but it'll let you um you know sleep at night and let you be more comfortable to scale to help you scale and uh and it's really a time, great to have and also it's also accounting for another big thing to look out for is your holding time so on these 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 jobs your holding time can change uh, from nine months to a year to 15 months, you know, and there is holding costs involved in especially large scale projects like ours. Often you're paying five to 10 to 15,000 a month in mortgages and um, if that job went an extra six months, you know, that's the holding time definitely changes real fast and if you're not accounting for that, that holding time money, you know, you know you're you're gonna you're setting yourself up for disaster so having the extra funds available to cover all these extra costs um and if you don't use the money it's fine but it just helps you to to help you scale every job and you know we have multiple we have I don't know, 15 15 probably 20 some we have 15 something bank accounts uh we set up multiple different ways of tracking our jobs of course but also multiple different bank accounts to help uh to help just track all of this that we're talking about. Um, you know, it's very, very important to, to really understand that and to get ready for those draws. A little hack on the, on the side note, your rehab budgets that you're giving to your, your hard money lenders, you do what's called, you front load it. Um, and I learned this from a hard money lender. You often will front load it instead of, we used to be very honest with our rehab budget and this is what it really, really costs. Um, but then again, we're doing a lot of work up front and the, you would, um, you want to get your money till like half third way or halfway through the job when you start actually catching up to the money you put in. So you can front load it, you can say items that are at the beginning like demo, um, permits, windows, um, any upfront item framing, these will be your bigger dollar value items. Um, you can't do more than 10% of your rehab budget, but you can upfront, up front load your, your rehab budgets to help you get draws faster, help you get your money faster. You're, you still have the same rehab budget of 100 grand, but you're just putting those items that uh, make making those items cost more upfront to help you get your draws quicker. Front loading, it's a very common industry. Um, you know, it's not really shared about on it too much, it's more of a high level thing. But now you guys know. <laughs> um, and, you know, the, that is really the biggest kind of things to, to be careful of to help you scale is to understand that. Um, and if you don't, you know, understand all that, that's fine. Message me. I'll talk to you more about it. Um, but uh, some other things, too, too, one of the last items, too, is um, not to overdo your rehab. And manipulating the cost is two big things. So not to overdo your rehab sometimes is a problem. Um, it is a fine line depending on where that project is, or the location, that that community, um, you know, to not overdo the rehab. Sometimes we spent too much money on an area or rehab that didn't need it. Um, so understanding that is another mistake and that's still a hard one to, to do or figure out. You know, we wanna do everything nice, but you know, that area, neighborhood doesn't need that kind of, you know, quality of, of, of material. Um, and, and then the biggest mistake that I think I'm guilty of sometimes is not taking enough action. There's always more time of the day. There's always something you can be doing. Um, you can may be guilty of using your time wrong. And I'm guilty too. You know, is your time worth it going to Home Depot and picking up material and taking to the job or is your time worth it um, you know driving around f- filming you know TikTok videos you know what is your time value that um, I used to love I still do love doing the yards and I love laying grass I like to I'm an outside guy I love the yard layouts I love the yard design um, you know I like I've gotten in there still today I still will jump in for an hour or two and lay the grass and help with the layout of the yard or I used to carry tools in my truck all the time. I, I, I'm a, I, have, con, I have construction knowledge and uh, my dad's a, car, a good MacGyver handyman kind of guy and he taught me that kind of through my life and I love jumping in there and doing construction. Um, but is that the best use of my time? You know, doing the yard, I can have a guy doing the yard for 15 bucks an hour you know, is my time best value to that? Or is it out, you know, making, uh, making more relationships, finding more deals, finding more investors? What is the best use of my time? Or is it even better use to find bigger deals? Um, you know, so time uh, management is a huge part of it all. And is that the best? Um, not taking action properly of your time, not using your time properly, you know, so you guys were sure you can think about think about your day right now did you use your time effectively throughout that whole day did you really do it and all of us will have say no no matter where you are if you're a billionaire i'm sure you can use your time to do more be different or do other better things of your time it's always easy to look back of course so when you look back and you think that hey i could have done better time doing this and this and that you know what uh what would be the next kind of best use of our, your time. So that's the biggest thing. And that goes into taking action and, and all of that side of the business, which you know, we can all take more action. But um, that's it for the risk part of it all, mistakes part of it all. So don't make mistakes. You're gonna make them, hopefully you learn from mine. I made a hundred other mistakes that I can go into you guys about, but these are the big ones to look out for. A lot of little mistakes always to look out for of, not, um, you know, doing proper inspections, not knowing your numbers, uh, not uh, figuring out your market, not knowing your buy buy box, you know, um, not analyzing a rental properly, not looking out for the worst case scenarios. So, I'll do all those other assessments. You know, be a really risk averse, um, and I'll protect you in the long run. Um, yeah. But So in the next segment, this segment, we have our investors or people who come in and ask questions, and we have a great question today. And I'll read you this question, and it's a long one, but you guys will appreciate it because I think you're all in the same shoe, a lot of you. Um, Hi, I'm reaching out to find any advice on how to purchase my first multifamily. I am struggling to get my credit together, but I qualify for a VA loan as of July as a uh, veteran. I'm currently making about sixty thousand per year, fresh out of college, and uh, double once I' done with my grad program. Any tips or tricks that I can f- that I can start putting into work to purchase my first property before two thousand twenty three is over? And that's from Zae, 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 Zae. Um, Sorry for pronouncing my name wrong. That's great. I really admire you on taking that goal to get into multifamily. It is a new hot sexy thing right now. Um, um, that may be hard. You can find some easier, smaller multifamily, maybe some little five plexes in the mainland, some four. If you're in Hawaii, um, you probably not a good market to jump into it just because the price points are a lot more. One, you won't qualify with 60,000 a year. Um, they're gonna wanna see a bank account a healthy bank account so you're gonna have to you're gonna have to get creative and you're gonna have to bring kps in um, i hope you understand all that is but we'll get into it. if you're gonna try and get in the multifamily, and you don't have enough in your bank account you're gonna have to be a kp you have to bring a kp in um you're gonna have to possibly syndicate this deal so the banks are not going to want to look at you too much if you probably can find a multifamily deal under a million you um Probably at sixty thousand per year, just the top of my head, um, you they're gonna want they're gonna want to see some healthy numbers in bank accounts, and you don't just get to buy a multi-family house or excuse me property unless you <laughs> the bank's deem you can afford it. <laughs> so uh, you'll have to bring people involved. Uh, you'll have to partner with somebody uh, to make that work. You can do some DSCR type loans to help you get it as a debt to service ratio loan. But they're gonna, again, they're gonna wanna see, you got money in the bank to buy the damn deal. <laughs> um, so you're gonna need that. So you'll have to bring some investors in. Uh, so understand that, understand what, how to analyze a multifamily, uh, understand cap rates and NOIs and and, um, uh, and all that, that side of business. Uh, and multifamilies are not for the w- beginner, I would say. I mean, they look easy on paper, um, but you definitely need to understand that uh, industry because rehabs are very bigger, you know, rehabbing these type of properties are very intensely finding a good property management is very important. Um, you know, there's a reason why these old timers or a lot of people sell these off because they're not easy to manage. You know, they are very uh, time consuming and, and, and most it can be losses. A lot of times, um, you know, we are looking at a, a 10 unit right now. That cash flow could be good, uh, but you know, if you have a roof, that you know, one problem can really mess up that whole cash flow of that deal. Um, you know, I would suggest to start with just a single family home. That's what I'm kind of getting at. You know, something easy. Buy your own first property. Definitely would be the better way to start, in just my opinion. Um, but if you want to dive all in there, you know, find a deal um, is the hardest part of it. So find that deal is going to be the hardest part of it, and then I would say partner with somebody like me or somebody who's done deals before who has, one, they have a good track record to qualify for the loan for the working with the banks. Um, That's going to be a huge thing, especially in the market in 2023. uh, Lenders are very um, on the fence. Even though they're doing a lot of less loans, they're very on the fence to loan, so they're going to want some Class A investors are going to want some strong liquidity in your accounts. They're going to want some uh, security that, you know, you know what the hell you're doing. And you're going to have to prove that to them. And if you haven't, you know, if you don't even own your own personal house um, or let alone any other like like for like multifamily properties, they probably won't lend to you. Um, they're going to look at that. They're going, to, they're going to want to see maybe that you own this happened in our Janesville property we have to show that we've owned another like for like property, another um, strip mall, another space. So you're going to make sure the lender who are kind of on the fence right now, you're going to want to make sure that you can buy this property. So find a deal, then find somebody to work with to be best thing to do. Um, You know, if you haven't even gotten your own property, your personal house, I would say, start there, start with that. Um, best way to start you can do a burst strategy you can refinance to take your money back out you can do HELOCs to take your money back out um, or you know get a little four unit um, do a house hack I'd probably say it would be your best best place with only 60,000 a year press out of college um, you know do you have the time to run a multifamily it's not like I, I think people make it seem like it's just like oh you just like do one hour of work a week um, no it takes a lot of work a full time job to run these kind of things you know it's it's not a um, you know fly by night kind of thing you know or you get into trouble um, but you know there is chance it will you know there's always that one case that one person that one time so you know maybe you get lucky but i would say with the house hack would be best thing to start go buy a four to maybe six unit uh, cheaper thing in a cheaper market um, or a smaller little rental unit start with that get understanding of it all um last section is our deal of the week and we're still trying to close out our janesville property we're so close uh, to closing that out uh i think we just got fully funded for that thing one more investors coming in right now now we're just again we we're talking about earlier making our lender getting our lenders to close our lenders are so finicky right now it's very hard uh, because of the market and and um uh, lenders in general are very hard. They're, it's not their fault. It's their the underwriters and the banks are tightening up. So we're trying to close our Janesville property out. You know, uh, get that closed. So we're super excited to finally get that closed, so close, and then on to the next one. I keep on looking at these other deals that come in, but I'm really just trying to close Janesville It's a big one. It's a five point eight million dollar property. Um, so you know, any smaller type investors are great. We're happy to you guys on and be part of the deal i think we're pretty close to closing if not uh, you know we might be 100 grand shy or something like that but uh, if you're interested in that property or we have some smaller properties our small ones get closed pretty fast um, but if you're interested in investing of course just message me and again yeah the last part message me follow me on uh, all that great stuff it's indar hawaii everywhere i-n-d-a-r Hawaii, H A W A I I, Insta social, uh, you know TikTok, LinkedIn, we're on it all. And um, message me on there and Instagram DM me, and we can talk story. You know, even if you don't invest with us, or even if you don't, you know, whatever, buy a property, just message me. I'll point you in the right direction. I'm a wealth of free knowledge for you. So, you know. I'll do my best to answer you hopefully you know keep your questions and you know great amicable i guess you can say some of those questions can be a little personal it's personal and uh i'm not going to share you know certain private information with you guys as i've been seeing some of those questions but um just ask him just ask me and i'll do my best to answer so our hawaii thank you guys so much for following and thank you guys and have a merry christmas hope you guys had amazing christmas and get ready for 2023 Think positively about the year. Embrace the suck is what I want to leave you guys with. Embrace the suck. Look forward to the challenges in life. So, aloha, guys. Have a great year. Aloha.